This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Welcome to another episode of the Out of the Blue podcast. My name is John Fleetham and I'm Professor of Medicine at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. Today I'm joined by Dr. Saria Bat, who's the first author of the paper FEV1, FVC Severity Stages for Chronic Obstructive Pulmonary Disease, recently published in the Blue Journal. Dr. Bat is an Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of Alabama in Birmingham. Welcome, Saria. Thank you for having me, John. Can you remind our listeners of how COPD is defined in 2023? Sure. The definition of COPD continues to evolve, it's... currently predicated on the presence of airflow obstruction. There's a fair amount of controversy about how exactly to define COPD, but the most recent Global Initiative for Obstructive Lung Disease, or the GOLD document, suggests defining COPD as a heterogeneous lung condition characterized by the presence of several chronic respiratory symptoms, such as shortness of breath, cough, sputum production, and exacerbations due to either chronic bronchitis or emphysema, and thereby resulting in persistent airflow obstruction. And do we exclude patients with, significant, with a significant degree of reversible airflow obstruction? Yes. Individuals with a significant degree of reversible airflow obstruction in that if there is airflow obstruction pre-bronchodilator, that is no longer present after administration of a bronchodilator are not deemed to have persistent airflow obstruction and hence by definition do not have COPD. The presence of fully reversible airflow obstruction after either bronchodilators or a trial of corticosteroids makes asthma more likely. Now how do we define COPD in 2023? I use percent predicted post-bronchodilator FEV1 but there are also gold grades and then there's Z scores. What is How do we define it? The person predicted FEV1 is the variable recommended by GOLD for classifying COPD severity, and these are decidedly arbitrary cutoffs. The latest recommendation from the ERS and ATS is to use Z-scores. The Z-scores express how far removed a patient's lung function is from the normal population based on predicted value after accounting for sex, age, and height and expressed in standard deviations. There is also an alternate suggestion that needs to be explored and is mentioned in the ERS ATS interpretation document, and that is one of FEV1Q, which is the observed FEV1 in liters divided by the sex-specific first percentile of the FEV1 distribution found in adult subjects with lung disease. Now, these percentiles are 0.5 liters for males and 0.4 liters for females, but this needs to be further researched and validated. So what are the limitations of all these different terms or, or, or uses for severity? There are several limitations. If you use the percent predicted for determination of severity, they rely on reference equations, as do the z-scores, which can be problematic when not representative of the general population. As you know, there has been considerable debate in the recent past about using reference equations, especially as related to corrections for race and ethnicity and the resulting implications for both diagnosis and classification of severity. Reference values still suffer from how normality is defined before enrollment, affecting generalizability also. Cross-sectional data is used to make longitudinal assumptions on how lung function is expected to change over time. There are assumptions of uniform variation across the age spectrum, which is likely not true, 
especially in older adults who are disproportionately shown to have a possible lower LLN. The reference equations also suffered from another limitation in that they were derived using pre-bronchodilator spirometry, whereas the recommendation is to use post-bronchodilator spirometry for diagnosis and perhaps for severity classification. I must also clarify that the issues are not just with using percent predicted or reference equations, but with using FEV1 by itself to classify severity. FEV1 is affected by lung size, and reference equations do not account for lung size and use height as a surrogate. The presence of concomitant restriction further confounds this and can result in an overestimation of severity when FEV1 alone is used to make determinations of severity. So using the FEV1-FEC ratio for both diagnosing disease and for determining severity would also perhaps simplify the assessment. Okay, well, let's, let's move to your study. What were the objectives of your study? The clinical value of severity grading lies in its association with mortality, its causal association with respiratory symptoms, and for decision-making regarding certain interventions, such as lung volume reduction and lung transplantation. Severity classes should offer sufficient discrimination between categories for predicting clinical outcomes and for clinical decision-making. We hypothesized that using the FEV1-FEC ratio, which is a more robust measure of airflow obstruction than FEV1 alone, for severity classification, would improve associations with important outcomes such as mortality, lung function decline, and CT-measured structural lung disease such as emphysema and airway disease, and with several markers of clinical burden, including shortness of breath, functional capacity, quality of life, and exacerbations. So you included patients from two large cohort studies. Can you briefly describe these two cohorts? Sure. We use data from two groups of patients. The genetic epidemiology of COPD or the COPD gene study is a large cohort of current and former smokers between the ages of 45 and 80 years with at least a 10-pack year smoking history. These subjects were enrolled at 21 clinical sites across the United States. The cohort was enriched for African-Americans who comprised about one-third of the cohort. The participants were extensively phenotyped with clinical information on medical history and comorbidities pre- and post-bronchodilator spirometry, six-minute walk distance, symptom burden in the form of MMRC dyspnea score, respiratory quality of life using the St. George Respiratory Questionnaire, high-resolution CT scans for the evaluation of emphysema and functional small airway disease, as well as quantification of the size of the medium-sized airways, as well as several longitudinal outcomes, including exacerbation frequency and mortality. We also used data from a second group of subjects, which was a combination of two cohorts of participants enrolled at Pittsburgh. This included the University of Pittsburgh Specialized Center of Clinically Oriented Research, or the ESCOR cohort, and the Emphysema COPD Research Registry cohort. These cohorts included individuals of ages between 40 and 79 years with at least a 10-pack year smoking history. And both of these cohorts excluded individuals who had significant respiratory disease other than COPD or asthma. So what is your new COPD classification and, and how did you test it in the two patient cohorts? Given the limitations of using FEV1 alone for the classification of severity that we discussed earlier, we developed a new classification system based on the FEV1-FEC ratio, which is perhaps a better measure of airflow obstruction. We call this the staging of airflow obstruction by ratio or STAR. We use data from patients enrolled in the COPD gene cohort with FEV1-FEC less than 0.7, which is the current accepted threshold for defining airflow obstruction, and arranged each individual by percentile of FEV1-FEC. Using approximately the 25th, 50th, and 75th percentiles, 
We estimated that FEV1 FAC ratio thresholds of 0.6 to 0.7, 0.5 to 0.6, 0.4 to 0.5, and less than 0.4 could be used to classify individuals into four stages, stages one through four. We used the same thresholds to similarly classify individuals enrolled in the combined Pittsburgh cohort. First, we tested the agreement between star and gold stages using the Bangdevala plots for agreement between multiple categories between the star and gold severity classes. The primary outcome of interest for us was all-cause mortality. Using individuals without airflow obstruction as the reference group, we estimated the hazards ratios for each group in both gold and star adjusted for age, sex, race, and height. We similarly tested the discriminative accuracy of each gold stage for all-cause mortality with individuals with no airflow obstruction as the reference group. We also created generalized linear regression models to test the associations between star stages and gold stages and several important clinical outcomes such as emphysema and functional small airway disease on CT scans, as well as airway wall thickness. We also tested the discriminative accuracy of these classification groups for SGRQ scores, MMRC scores, six-minute walk distance, and FEV1 change over time. And all these models were registered for demographics and smoking variables. Okay, and what were the primary findings? The agreement, which we measured in the form of weighted Bangdevala B scores between gold and star severity classes was good. It was 0.89 in COPD gene and 0.88 in the Pittsburgh cohort. In both COPD gene and the Pittsburgh cohort, gold staging did not provide any discrimination between severity stage one and the absence of airflow obstruction whereas the STAR system provided a significant discrimination between no airflow obstruction and stage one. STAR also provided a more monotonic increase in mortality with increasing stage in contrast to that provided by gold. Gold staging again provided no discrimination between the absence of airflow obstruction and stage one for SGRQ and dyspnea, whereas significant differences were noted when using STAR stages. Both gold and STAR showed good discrimination for emphysema severity as well as for functional small airway disease, but there was no difference in PI-10, which is a measure of wall thickness between gold stage one and no airflow obstruction. And this was in contrast to STAR, which provided a good differentiation. For exacerbations also, no significant difference was noted between no airflow obstruction and stage one in gold, whereas STAR showed a difference. And there was no consistent trend for the severity of lung function decline by gold stages, whereas with increasing STAR stage severity, there was greater lung function decline this supports the concept of the horse racing effect. That is, the more severe the COPD stage is, the faster the rate of lung function decline is. We also used data from about 16,000 patients from our hospital PFT database and found that within each gold stage, increasing star stages were associated with monotonic increases in both hyperinflation and air trapping on nitrogen washout lung volumes. In contrast, within each star stage, increasing gold stages were associated with a lower TLC and with inconsistent, inconsistent trends for residual volume. Okay, so what are the benefits of this new STAR COPD classification? We demonstrated in two large cohorts that a new severity classification scheme based on the ratio differentiates patient symptoms, disease burden, and prognosis better than the existing scheme based on percent predicted FEV1. This was also associated with a more monotonic increase in outcomes with increasing severity stages. And a major advantage is that STAR differentiates stage one from the absence of airflow obstruction for the majority of these clinically important outcomes. The new classification scheme has the added advantage of being less sensitive to race and ethnicity, which significantly impact the percent predicted FEV1. Now, only a few treatment decisions are currently made using the 
severity of airflow obstruction and treatment is mostly based on symptoms. But modified board index using star stages results in an identical proportion of individuals meeting the board score threshold for consideration of lung transplantation. If stage four disease were to be used for referral to transplantation, then more patients will be identified using star than using gold. The number of individuals who would be screened in for evaluation for lung volume reduction procedures, usually stage three and four disease, would be similar using star or gold. Although the proportions detected are similar for these two severity classification systems, the individuals detected are not always the same. More research is needed to compare outcomes for patients detected using the two classification systems. Although I'll say that the physiologic data of hyperinflation and air trapping suggest that STAR identifies individuals who are more physiologically impaired within each group. Can you highlight any the strengths and any limitations of your data? The study had several strengths. First, you know, we used data from two large cohorts with extensive phenotyping with clinical and imaging data with approximately 95,000 person years of follow-up. We included patients from a very wide age range and reflected the usual age range for COPD. The cohorts were quite representative. We had equal proportions of men and women and included a large proportion of African-Americans. We paid close attention to spirometry quality. We included individuals with at least grade B according to the ATS standards for acceptability and reproducibility, which was pretty much most of the original cohort. We replicated our analysis in a second large external cohort. And we also analyzed the clinical implications of the new classification scheme by substituting our severity classes in the board index and noted that we would use this system without much change in patient identification for lung transplantation. We also note a few limitations. COPD gene included only current and former smokers. And so this classification scheme should be validated in COPD that occurs in non-smokers or in light smokers. And although the FEV1 FEC ratio is less sensitive to race and ethnicity than the person predicted FEV1, STAR should be validated in racial groups other than whites and blacks. Now, you, you've gone over some of these, but what are the important differences between your STAR classification and the gold grades? I would say three important differences. One, the physiologic underlying in that STAR is based on an FEV1 FEC ratio which is physiologically a better measure of airflow obstruction than FEV1 by itself. Also, STAR differentiates stage one from no airflow obstruction, and any severity classification system should be able to do that. And it provides a more monotonic increase in worse outcomes with increasing stage compared to the gold classification. Well, this new classification, I mean, is it ready for prime time? And if so, what's it going to take for it to be widely adopted? I believe so. The elements needed for its calculation exist. We do need to validate in cohorts that are non-smokers and include ethnicities other than white and black. I do hope the guideline committees will consider this classification system as a potential scheme for determining severity. Okay. Do you have any final comments you'd like to make about your study? Dr. Peter Cavalli in his editorial stated very eloquently that a change in clinical practice will take time and likened it to a super tanker changing its course. I do hope readers and practitioners will see value in this new severity classification system and adopt this into clinical practice. So I'd like to thank Dr. Ben for this very interesting discussion. To the listener, to read the article discussed in this podcast, please visit the podcast homepage at www.atsjournals.org. To listen to more episodes of Out of the Blue, visit our page on iTunes or Google Play. You can also subscribe to stay updated whenever new episodes are available. 
Thank you again for listening.